Hello, Portland Trailblazer fans, and welcome to this edition of the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dave Deckard, managing editor of BlazersEdge.com. We are glad to be with you thick in the middle of the playoffs. Well, the beginning middle. Well, it could be the middle middle, depending on how the Blazers do. As we stand, they are 0-1 and one after a hard-fought but off ultimately unsuccessful game one versus the Golden State Warriors. The outcome, not a surprise, maybe a little more of a surprise that they played uh, as well as they did, or at least stayed as close as they did for three quarters. And we're going to bring in co-host Dan Morang. And uh, Dan, what were your general impressions? Give us an impression or two from game one. What stood out for you? <sighs> the fact that I got sucked into the game. That, that that part of it alone was was enough for me to cry, but general impressions overall, um, it was fun. Uh, there were some interesting developments, particularly CJ McCollum's defense. Like, where has that been for two years? Um, the fact that those two played that great um, and didn't get the support, the lineup structure, and and how that kind of all played out. There was there was a couple things going on that uh, in that game that I, I didn't expect. But uh, overall, I mean, I, I don't think the outcome was any different than anybody expected. Well, let's start at shooting guard then. Let's start with McCollum. Obviously, sixteen for twenty eight was the standout uh, line. By the way, <laughs> Damian Lillard shot twenty six. So between them, they were fifty four shots uh, of the ninety three the Blazers took came from Lillard and McCollum, but 16 for 28, four for six from three-point land, 41 points, eight rebounds for CJ. Were you expecting anything like that? Going into this, I, I said if Portland was going to have any chance in any particular game, these two needed to average, Damon CJ needed to average at least 65 points. You basically have to add, you know, 15 to 18% to their regular season total because of the output that the, the the Warriors bring. And 41 was an incredible outburst, especially with the, the efficiency that he, that he put in. But I was expecting more, like, you know, 31 to 33 from both of them. That, that was kind of the range. I figured more shots would come their way. But I but bo- for both of them to shoot, you know, 54 shots and combine to shoot over 50%, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Wow. It's, it was one of the all-time great playoff performances, I think, in Blazers history. Oh, no doubt. And made even more incredible by the fact that Golden State was guarding him. It's not like they, they concentrated on Lillard and let McCollum go. They were challenging his shots, and he still made over 50%. I mean, that's, it was just amazing to watch. And as you, as you pointed out, the defense. Talk about CJ's defense a little bit and what you saw. Yeah, that was, and I, I said this on Twitter, and it, it apparently garnered a lot of eyes because everybody kind of nodded in agreement in that that was CJ's best game-long effort defensively I've ever seen. And it wasn't like, oh, hey, he did something decent for a little while, or hey, he was engaged. He wore Clay Thompson like a sweater. Clay, the, we'll talk about Steph, we'll talk about Draymond, and we'll talk about Durant and the impact those guys had. The guy we won't talk about at all is Clay Thompson. He was irrelevant in this I, game. And, and all year, kind of. Clay no. has been struggling against the Blazers since, since he exploded on them last spring in their second round series. He has been abysmal 
versus Portland. And uh, McCollum, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the Blazers are in his head a little bit. Maybe it's like, okay, well, Durant's slid into the number two position here or number 1A, and now what do I do? But, yeah, Clay did not look anything like the Clay Thompson we're used to seeing on really on either end of the court. No, the way CJ was tracking him during the regular season, both Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum get lost on when they when they have to go through multiple actions. So if they have to run through multiple baseline screens, uh, down screen, back screen, try to fight through traffic. I mean, that's that's the Warriors M.O. They're going to screen you to death and they're going to run you ragged all game long. CJ was was in his hip pocket all game long. I mean, he came off the one one curl at the, at the top of the free throw line. And he's within a foot of him, and he trails him, gets in front of him, jumps up and blocks a shot. This is Clay Thompson, who's 6'7", 6'8". CJ ain't that big. So that's what lets you know how tight he's playing him. Yeah, he knew where he was going to be. Although, I must say, and I don't know, maybe you'll correct me here, I'm not sure. But as I was watching the Warriors with Durant, they are running a few less of those ultra motion plays where at least in my eyes like multiple multiple screens where they have like four or five different options or different movements in a given set seems like it's a little more traditional there's one or two screens especially a high screen and then you know whoever's open and often it's durant because he's big and he's got a mismatch so They'll run a screen or two and then go with the mismatch basketball. Did you see that as well? Yeah, it's Clay's sets are still like that because he can't create off the bounce. But what you have is you've got three other guys on the floor in Draymond, Durant, and Steph who can all create off the bounce and are phenomenal passers. But Clay still needs to work to get his shot. And they'll run those sets with, with Clay as the primary beneficiary, but they have the luxury of having. KD on the the short corner and Steph on the weak side. So the spacing is usually pretty pretty spectacular. So it, it plays more in CJ's favor, I think, as far as when you look at what he did defensively, that he was able to stay that tight to him, knowing how much floor space he's, that Clay gets with those guys on the floor. Yeah, in a sense, I think in a sense the distraction makes it a little easier because now CJ's like. Okay, you have one job. Now, there's a lot to that job. It's intricate, but it's not quite the same where you know your guy's going to be the, one of the primary horses that gets ridden no matter what, and now you have to be on constantly. It, it felt like CJ had the plays tracked. CJ knew when the ball was going to come to Clay, and he knew when Clay caught it pretty much what was going to happen. And that predictability really helped him zero in. That does not diminish the fact at all that he did it. I mean, often the Blazer guards, as you say, have had one job all season long, and they didn't do it. And this time they did, and it was really pretty darn powerful. Yeah, no, when you expect a guy, or when you see a guy like Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum trying to fight through screens, you're normally sitting there shaking your head wondering, oh, God, how's this play going to end? There were scant few times where one of the Warriors came off on a, on a catch just dead clean. I mean, really, the only time that, that I saw guys come that clean were when neither one of those guys were involved in the play, and that's a that's a big-time turn of events from, you know, 82 previous games. Yeah, although I think Curry got free every now and again, which you'd expect. But let, let's 
let's talk about Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry because, look, before the game, before the series, there would be no doubt which one of those two was superior. As much as we like Damian Lillard, as much as, you know, Trailblazers fans hold him in awe, and for good reason. I mean, Curry, MVP, Curry's teams go to the finals. On Sunday, Damian Lillard's stat line, 12 for 26, there were five rebounds and only three assists, but, but a lot of his teammates were missing shots, uh, at 34 points. Steph Curry, 9 for 19, uh, five rebounds, four assists, 29 points. Uh, Dame goes 3 for 9 from three-point land. Seth, uh, Steph goes 3 for 8. Um, they're virtually identical in free throws. I mean, you statistically, other than Damian taking more shots, you couldn't tell the difference between them. Uh, that in itself, I mean, is pretty remarkable. Obviously, it's just one game, but if, if the Blazers can counter... Steph Curry with their own Steph Curry, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that only leaves them a, a Durant short, right? I mean, CJ outplays Clay, uh, Dame we'll outplays or, or or matches uh, Steph. I mean, that's you you get that kind of performance from both those seventy five points. That's yeah. nuts from those two. So I mean, Lillard himself just. It's crazy that we're sitting here talking so much about CJ because it outshines the performance that Damian had. Because, I mean, any other game, right? This, we're, we're sitting here talking about, man, what a game from Damian. Right. I mean, literally, you don't you do not do that. You don't Steph Curry, Steph Curry, especially in the playoffs. Remember what Curry did to them last year? It's like, oh, he's back. He's been injured. He's going to work his way into it. And he scores like 45 or some ungodly 17 amount of points. 17 points in an overtime by himself. Yeah, I mean, it was wrong. It was just wrong. It was like they were holding back and pulled an ace out of their sleeve. And this year, I mean, in this game at least, Lillard was the ace in the hole. I mean, obviously McCollum, but McCollum was the main guy. And all of a sudden, here comes Lillard with the follow-up cross. And, and wow, it's pretty incredible. So, look, those two guards not only did what they said they were going to do, they did more than they said they were going to do. <sighs> the sticking point, of course, comes the entire rest of the team yeah, combined about shot that. 12 for 39. And unlike McCollum and Lillard, at least some of those shots were pretty wide open. Yeah, I mean, the, the Warriors' entire defensive strategy changed gears in the second half because while Portland is, is primarily a pick-and-roll team, Dame and CJ weren't really picking and rolling as often as, or as, as frequently as they normally do. They were just taking guys off the bounce. And, I mean, in the pantheon of NBA players who can create off the bounce, you're looking at two of the, probably the top five in the league. So letting them do that, probably not in your best interest. So the Warriors shift gears, and they're like, okay, no, that's cool. We'll go ahead and trap every single time you bring any other body up there, and we're taking the ball out of your hands. Well, the problem is, is that those other hands that it's ending up in aren't, I mean, th th this is an all-state. You're, you're not in good hands. Yeah, well, and part of that, frankly, was a domino effect. Because in the first half, the supporting cast was not hitting any of their shots, but especially not their outside shots. I mean, Mo Harkless went one for six from three-point land in the game overall. Uh, Evan Turner hit a couple in the second half, but he was so wide open, he might as well, he could have... You had to take those. 
Yeah, he could have eaten at a buffet and then had a massage, mani pedicure, and then taken the shot. Um, Alan Crabb was one for three. Uh, Connaughton was zero for two for what it's worth, but that's not much. But in any case, they weren't hitting their shots. So what was the penalty for Golden State packing the lane? What was their reason not to? They figured, A, these guys aren't hitting the outside shots. B, they're going to try to get the supporting cast going by taking them inside. And C... Uh, Damien and CJ are scoring off of drives anyway, so why would we not pack everybody in the lane? And that's exactly what they did. And notice in the second half, all of a sudden, you get Vonley catching deep or driving in, and then there's Draymond Green blocking him, three players surrounding him. Uh, Al-Farouk Aminu, it was painful to watch. He would get in the lane. There would be a guy or two on him. He would try, like, seven moves in there, like spin, hesitate, stutter, spin, spin. Um, he was open for a brief second but couldn't get the shot off, and all of a sudden on his seventh move, he loops something with his left hand practically over his head. I mean, it's, it's just horrible uh, to watch, but that's because Golden State was free to do that because nobody else was hitting. Yeah, I mean, if you want to call back to last year in the playoffs— Remember the the narrative heading into the Clippers series? Man, Mason Plumlee is a key to unlocking the Blazers' offense. Uh, no, he wasn't. They went into the second round, and the Warriors did exactly what they did last night, except they just you know flipped the script in the second half. And in Mason Plumlee's place was Noah Vonley. Noah Vonley caught the ball in the exact same places that Mason Plumlee did. You know what the Warriors did? Didn't care. Go ahead, Noah Vonley. Yeah. You haven't done anything here, so. Yeah, no, you go ahead and catch the ball eight feet from the rim. We don't trust you to hit anything other than a dunk. Alan Crabb spent right. 20 minutes on the floor, so you're, you're arguably your best pure shooter outside of McCollum isn't even on the floor. Harkless, you know, he's, he's free of his, his <laughs> incentive-based contract, so he's letting it fly. It's just not falling. And Aminu, well, it, it's Aminu. Yeah, I mean, it was... It, painful is the only word I can describe. It's like, had... Especially the after the three quarters been, of awesome. Yeah. Had the Blazers been able to score, even during the three quarters of awesome, though, this was ongoing. Had they gotten reasonable production from the other players, this could have been a different game. But it was all but, I mean, almost impotent is the word that comes to mind. And, you know, in a way, it makes the guards stand out more because under that pressure... They flourish, but yeah. everybody else just wilted. I mean, you can't one for five from Alan Crabb, uh, one for five from Noah Vonley. You just can't have that. The one guy, the one guy that I thought acquitted himself really quite well was Evan Turner. I mean, he not only did he shoot three for seven, and he hit a couple of his threes, as we, as we said, he better be able to hit those. He was so <laughs> wide open. But he had 10 rebounds, four assists, but he also, I thought, was clearly maybe the best defensive player out there in, on the on Portland's side, excepting maybe McCollum. Yeah, I'd, Turner, I'd give it to CJ. Had, uh, Turner, had, had the, Turner had a tougher job. Yeah, though. he had the unavailable task of, of guarding the Durantula, and he did pretty well considering. He, he actually bothered Durant a few times. He flashed out, um, cut off a couple, and he also made some just ridiculously terrible mistakes, though, um, shading down to help on Draymond Green and leaving Durant at the three-point line. Not very high up on my list of things that I ever want to do on a basketball court. Sure, but I mean, 
at some point, the more you make Durant a three-point shooter, the better off you are. Uh, he was killing them inside. I mean, and this this is probably the story of the game. Everything else was equal, but when Portland's scoring guards had to pass, they were passing to Vonleys, and they were passing to Aminus, and they were passing to Harkless's. Now, granted, Mo hit 5 of 13, but still... The Warriors were passing to Kevin Durant. And yeah. Kevin Durant, there was nobody on Portland's side who was within four inches of, of his reach. And there was nobody who could body him up. Uh, there was, there's nobody who could do anything except maybe try to cut off his dribble a little bit. Uh, but he just turned his back to all those shorter defenders and uh, either backed them in or just shot over them. Yeah, the, the crazy thing is, we'll sit here and talk about how incredible performance Draymond had in the second half defensively and Steph in the first half really catching fire but sprinkled in there were these bursts from Durant it's not like Durant was jacking shots I think he ended up like 10 of 19 I mean he he was just stupid efficient and he just torched I mean this when when that's your you were you were close he actually he he was 12 of 20 Oh, so, I'm I mean, sorry. He was even better. Even more. He hit three more shots than you thought on just one more attempt. So yeah, yeah he it was uh, it was pretty disgusting. I mean, when when you have a guy that's absolutely lighting you up, but, and when they do it that efficiently, you just look up at the box score and you're like, how the hell does he have 30 points? Because it doesn't feel like it because it's it's only taken you know 20 shots and to say only 20 when you're playing at a pace of a game where you're gonna see on average probably 120 points. That's really not that many shots because there's about 110 to 115 possessions. So when a guy just absolutely cans like that for a team that's already stupid good, there's just not a lot you can do. Yeah, it ended up being the backbreaker because the Blazers would, they were defending pretty well and they were running with the Warriors. They were doing everything they needed to. But whenever the Warriors needed something, they just rang Durant's doorbell. And basically came out. That's said, what they okay, brought him in for. There you go. I mean, everyone's yeah. talk about how the Warriors run this new brand of basketball, this new breed, this new style, sharing the ball, all this movement. You know what you do when you need a bucket in the playoffs? You give it to your best player and you say, go get me a bucket. When you can turn to Kevin Durant, who's arguably the most diverse offensive weapon in the league, you can talk about Westbrook, you can talk about Harden. Neither one of those guys are seven foot tall, able to shoot over anybody, create out the bounce, go right, go left, pull up, have a uh, uh, the ability to finish in the lane to off either foot with either hand or go down in the post. I mean, the guy literally has it all. And it's not like you're talking like LeBron James where he's more dominant in the post but can't shoot out of three. Durant's dominant wherever he has the ball. There, there is, there's two people in the league, maybe three, who offer any kind of real resistance to Kevin Durant. LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Giannis. If you don't have yeah. one of those three guys, you're not going to be able to stop him effectively. So you just hope to God he has one of those bad playoff Kevin Durant nights. Yeah, I, I think you just, if you're Portland, you push him out to the perimeter as much as possible. You try to get him overconfident. The, the Oklahoma City cruising Kevin Durant, yep. who would just drift out, deep and shoot face-up jumpers because he could. But the problem is, A, he'd be embarrassed to do that in Golden State because you got a couple of guys who can really do that. And B, they're already out there, so he's on the inside. And C, the Blazers aren't throwing anyone above six foot eight at him. So, I mean, what what incentive does he have to back out? He can just back down. Let's, let's take a look at Draymond Green uh, for a second, and then <sighs> we'll get to the piece de resistance. But, okay, 
Green manageable in the first half. He played really well. He just took over the defense in that second half. It, it, it's like when you said, okay, we're going inside. It was just basically like winding him up mm -hmm. and you know, turbo power, press the button, 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 button. Okay, you're going to see a KO here. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. I haven't seen somebody flip a switch like that. It was, it was Ben Wallacey where in that, those, those Pistons years where the paint was his. It did not matter. It, it, I tell you what, right now, and I, I said this the other night, Durant owes Draymond Green a really nice dinner. And it's not just because of the singular defensive performance he put on. Dame drove to the rack and was going to absolutely bang on Durant's head. I mean, he was going to dunk all over him. All of six foot one, Damian Lillard was going to dunk all over seven foot plus Kevin Durant, and there was not a damn thing he could do about it. All of a sudden, out of left field, it's like, oh my god! I mean, it was, it was like the heel making the entrance in, in wrestling, man. It's like, oh my god, that's Draymond's music, and then boom, just absolutely swats Damian, and that was the play that just ignited them. Yeah. And again, in some ways, completely Portland's fault because you left him just one area to guard. I mean, you basically shined a spotlight. It's like prison guards out there. And then you just you put neon tape out there of your escape route, left a sign saying at 2 a.m. We're going to cut this fence right here. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, he's yeah, he was just he was a Doberman. He was just chewing their rear ends all through that second half. And there was just nothing they could do. And at that point, the scary thing was at that point, it just didn't matter how many threes Lillard and McCollum hit or how many contested jumpers or whatever, because you knew then that there was going to be no balance. You knew that those it was just that might as well have been the clock ticking on the Warriors victory. Every jumper that they they took because there was nothing else to back him up. Yeah, I mean, the stat line Draymond put up, he almost screwed around and had a triple double and a five by five. I mean, you want to talk about the yeah. impact of, of a singular player? I mean, there's very, very few guys in NBA history who can have that kind of an impact on one side of the floor. And I venture a guess he's the shortest among all of them. And yet, I mean, there he is. Vonley tried to challenge him. And Vonley's a physical specimen. And he had no chance. That's, no, I mean... That, that, that's, a, that's a hell of a testimony to, to what he can do. No, I mean, Vonley came in there. And yeah, okay, Vonley has the physical tools. But there was there was bass in Draymond Green's voice. And Vonley's <laughs> going to the lane like... I think I'm going to make a shot of, uh, excuse me, I'm, if you just move aside. No, no, yeah. no, says Draymond Green, out of here. This is my yard. Go away. Uh, let's talk about the, the salt in the wound here. We talk about Portland's supporting cast. Let's exclude the four Warriors that we have talked about. They're clear stars. The rest of the Warriors lineup. You, you, can, you, can, you can stop at one name. Ian Clark. I know. <laughs> let's give the let's give the overall. Remember, Portland's lineup went twelve for thirty nine. Golden State's other other guys below their top four went ten for sixteen. As you say, Ian Clark four for five hit both of his three pointers, scored twelve points. The entirety of Portland's bench scored nine. 
Portland's bench plus Noah Vonley scored 11. So Ian Clark in 12 minutes outscored four Portland players who played a combined 23, 33, 55, 59 minutes. 59 minutes to score 11 points for four Blazers. 12 points in 12 minutes for Ian Clark. Yeah, that's like that, you know, the, the dodgeball moment where you're like, all right, let's see how it works out for him, Cotton. It's, yeah, it, it's just not getting it done. I mean, Ian Clark, I, I think Jason Quick posted it. It was one of the CSN guys. He's like 24 of 30 against Portland this season. I mean, he, that dude is the owner, co-owner, client, and everything about the Blazer Killer Club. He is just yeah. on an absolute tear against Portland, and I don't really understand why he's not lightning quick. He's an, he's a good shooter, but he's not you know one of those guys that comes off the bench. He's not Lou Williams. He's not going to come out and just torch you. But if you're Portland, he is, and I, I I can't get my head around that. And for Portland, that's a big big problem. I mean, you'd expect a guy like Alan Crabb to step in, right? But nope, nope. Ian Clark is going to single handedly outscore everyone basically not named Damon CJ. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want to talk wrestling terms. It's like you're in the Royal Rumble. You had your eyes on Andre the Giant and John Cena, and you just got put over the ropes by the repo man. I mean, it's not. It's <laughs> the the not Blazers bench, they, they, were, they were the very first guys out for the Royal Rumble. They were the first ones in the ring. That, that's, that's what they, they were. were. <laughs> Santino Morello or something like that. Yeah. So, Kevin yeah. Durant was number 31. He he was the second to last one to come out. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's like, okay, there's, there's an analogy there. Sorry about the WWE stuff, folks. But it's like, okay, Lillard and McCollum were like, I don't know, the Hardy Boys or great tag team or something like that. But Golden State trotted out The Rock. They trotted out Stone Cold Steve Austin. They came with The Undertaker. You just weren't, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. So, okay. Big picture. Glass half empty, glass half full. Obviously, the, the score was tied at 88 after three quarters. Golden State still won 121 to 109 or whatever it was. Uh, so, look, do you think that the, this was a positive? Do you think that this was predictable, that this was the way it's always going to go? What, what's the big picture take from game one? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was just... <sighs> This this was, you know, a, a boxing, if we're going to go boxing terms, this was Ivan Drago and everything that is, is evil and bad in the Warriors. But except for, you know, Rocky coming out with, with the montage, we're, we're talking about Sly Stallone like today, like 78-year-old Sly Stallone. He came out and hit him with his best punch. And sure, it was damn good for, a you know, a senior citizen. And 75 points between those two guys? You would expect that that's that's enough, but it it wasn't even close. Everybody, everybody will talk about three quarters, three quarters, three quarters, just that one quarter. That was the entire series last year. You played with them for seventy five percent, and there was one quarter where you got blown up. Yeah, and well, I can I'll go older with the analogy. This is like John Wayne in a movie with a young kid who shoots pretty good with that revolver, but he's <laughs> like. Uh, sorry, kid, you, you ain't got nothing. I can't do a very good John Wayne on the spur of the moment. But, you know, it's a, if, you, if you hit me, you better make sure I stay down. Uh, in any case, yeah, we can also put some historical perspective on this. Look, 
if you watch the Clyde Drexler teams when the Blazers were really, really, really good, like the best, finals good, one of the best two or three teams in the league, right? This is exactly what the early rounds of the playoffs were like. I mean, people forget Phoenix was pretty scary back then. In fact, they would rise to prominence after Portland faded. Utah was scary. This was Malone Stockton. San Antonio was really scary. But this would pretty much happen to whomever the Blazers faced in round one, often round two. They'd look good for a little while, but then Portland would put the throttle on, you know, one quarter, maybe quarter and a half, and it would end up a double-digit win. And the other teams would go, if only this, if only the refs, if only a couple more shots, if only who knows. And that's exactly what losing to a great team looks like. You sit there with your if-onlys, and it was close, and they go, yep, I hear this about 20 times a year in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're in a position where they don't have to. They have two MVPs. They have the, the defensive player of the year. I mean, they're, we're, we're talking about in Portland, do they have a third star? And they're trying to figure out, you know, who their eighth or ninth guy is that's going to give them 10 plus points a game. I mean, the, the, you want to yeah. talk about first world problems, the Warriors have them. The, the Blazers are, are dealing with with issues a little lower on, on rung on the ladder, and I mean, you, yeah, you grabbed their heel. Yeah, you did. You did. I mean, they were they're up above. You grabbed their heel. You you held them down for three quarters, stopped them from climbing farther. But then they just kicked you in the face and started climbing anyway, like yeah. they always knew they were going to. Yeah. But you know, it's basically this is not that different than one would have expected in the final outcome. It's just the journey looked different, but the journey is only, I mean, in the playoffs, look, the journey doesn't matter. I mean, it's not the regular season. You basically either win or you don't, and that's all there is when it comes to the postseason. Every game is different. Every game has its own feeling, its own tenor, and and the own their own in, ins and outs of it. I mean, there could be a game in this series where neither team is just hitting a dang thing. And it's a it's a dogfight, and you wouldn't expect that. But the game's plan changes, the 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 way teams execute and what they're looking to execute changes. So every game is so so vastly different. Well, the outcome probably won't be. And I know some people will, will probably go, "Well, you, why are you so down? Why are you so?" Listen, if if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I was genuinely excited and even gave in to the belief that maybe Portland could steal one in Oakland. On, in game one. And then that third quarter started and I went, nope, there is not a chance. They cannot get it done when that team is in. That's not to say that, that Portland's in a, in a bad place. That team is just that good. I will say this, though. Golden State was celebrating plays an awful lot. And I get Damon Green's, or Draymond Green's dunk was spectacular and stuff like that but there were moments when you looked at the warriors and you're going like oh yeah you're a little too excited you're a little too excited about this little micro moment and you're not that far ahead it felt like if there was a game that could be taken this one was this one was winnable for the blazers in the emotional sense in the momentum sense it was there the problem is that they couldn't end up they didn't end up doing it and as you said it was it was kind of almost like their best shot, and, and the Warriors were vulnerable. It didn't happen. It leaves me in a little bit of doubt as to what the rest of this series is going to look like. It would not surprise me to see the Blazers take a step 
backwards or downwards from here in game two. I mean, Dame and CJ, are we going to expect them to get 75 plus a night? I mean, contested. That, I mean, that's contested. That's a heck of a burden to bury to, uh, to carry. And, yeah. and while I expect them to continue performing well, I, I, I don't when Golden State lost a lot of their depth, bringing in Kevin Durant and Durant is a phenomenal defender. But you can't just run bodies at Damon CJ for 48 minutes anymore. You, you don't have the same level in your bench that can sit there and just give those two guys hell all game long. So I think that's part of the trade-off when you bring in Durant. But the same token, you're getting 30 easy points. So to expect Damon CJ, like I said, to get 65 a night, I think is a very reasonable, as crazy as that sounds, expectation. Where things have just got to flip, it, it, the others. Turner had a nice night, but literally everybody else played below par. Right. And well, and let's put this in perspective. I mean, CJ went crazy. Historical level Blazers crazy, anyway. Durant with 32 and Curry with 29. On a reasonable night, that would be really, really good for Lillard and McCollum if they could match that. I have no doubt that Durant and Curry can do that again without thinking. I think it's pretty optimistic, or at least you'd say, yeah, that's a really, really good job if Damon CJ can get 32 and 29. The problem is you're still looking at the whole rest of the roster. <laughs> I mean, that basically they can neutralize your two without thinking. When you neutralize their big two, it's a big party for you. When Golden State neutralizes Portland's big two, basically the Blazers are done. Yeah, I mean, you're dead on the water at that point. You're just waiting for the bird dog to drag you to shore. Right, so that means that CJ has to get 41 and Dame has to get 34. Then when the rest of the bench or the rest of the supporting cast anyway shoots better, then you've got a chance. But oh, by the way, you still ended up 12 points behind. So you got to get 12 more points out of that uh, supporting cast. Then you're even with the Warriors. Uh, that's that's tough. I mean, the, it, I, I don't know if there's a, a, a tool or remedy big enough and long enough to get you out of that hole. Well, there might be one, though. Hey, I mean, let's close this way. Yeah, <laughs> every Blazer fan is hoping and looking. And look, Nurkic, rebounding was a quiet key to that second half. Mm -hmm. The Blazers, bless their hearts, they went hard at those boards, but they didn't really gain any advantage. They, they were playing the ridiculously small. There were long yeah. periods of time where Aminu was the biggest guy out there. And Aminu's a good rebounder. Evan Turner's right. decent for his size. But these aren't guys... Durant and Draymond will both gobble up boards. They're just too freaking long to keep off the boards. Right. They're, they're just going to find their way to those guys. Also, post-play. Okay, Noah Vonley's in there, and you know he's going to miss it. I mean, just to get it <laughs> up over people, he has to arc it up in a parabola that's so high that it's coming down with, like, pigeon poop on it. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, Aminu, uh, just, that was a disaster in there. Nurkic would not be a disaster in the lake. Nurkic would be able to do some damage in there. Is it enough? I, I think, actually, Nurkic, you can make a reasonable claim that Nurkic would change the tenor of Portland's attack and would shore up that rebounding issue as long as he can stay out of foul trouble. That gives the Blazers a much better chance, at least, right? Yeah, I mean, in, instead of punching with, with 
18 ounce gloves on, you're, you're bare knuckle boxing. Then you're, you're fighting dirty with dirty. I, I, I will tell you this right now. And this has been echoed around by a lot of other folks, um, in both golden state and Portland media. Draymond's not going to get stupid out there and act a fool with a seven foot, 300 pound monster, just freight training him. I am, I am more than okay with Nurkic picking up a foul or two. If it means Draymond green ends up on his backside. Because you have to. At this time of year, physical intimidation is a real thing. And in the playoffs, when that's what Draymond did. He intimidated them out. I mean, not only were the results there, but after a few of those, you're just like, nah, nah, I'm not about that life. Nurkic has had that effect in a couple games. And it's not just the block shots, but when, I mean, the, the, the key matchup between Denver and Portland, Nurkic's first like five or six possessions were him rolling to the rim with a full head of steam. And nobody on that Nuggets team wanted any part of that. Draymond's big. He's long. He's strong. He's not Nurkic big, long, and strong. He, he will get absolutely trucked. Yeah, and the Warriors don't have anybody out there except maybe JaVale McGee who could do anything except for bounce off of Nurkic. I mean, this big guy, Nurkic will laugh. And God forbid Green would try to kick him. I bet, I bet he'd burn a foul just landing flat on him. Oh, oh yeah, so, I mean, he, he falls like a big man, too. Nurkic, like everything about him, he's light on his feet and he dances around. But when he falls, it's kind of like the, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's a big big tree make big thud. I, yeah. I, I'd be around for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to slight Zaza off Pachulia either. He could probably put a body against Nurk. But, yeah, I've, I would be much more excited to see that, obviously. I don't think that Nurk alone would be the savior. Um if nothing else, he might have the effect like we talked about in the regular season where he puts guys one step lower in the rotation, which mm-hmm. is one step closer to where they belong. But I think, look, long story short, and granted the series isn't over, but we talked about this before the game number one. It was the critical one, and the opportunity was kind of there. The Blazers kind of didn't take it, didn't end up successful. The winner of game one wins an overwhelming amount of series. It's what, like 85%? Home team. Yeah, it's like 82 something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an absurd number. And when it's 1 8, when it's the Warriors, I mean, look, this was your chance. Didn't happen. But look, I think that Nurk will make this a more exciting series. I think he'll make it a more competitive series. I just hope that he gets to play a little bit. I mean, that's the big thing. I know this this sounds kind of defeatist, but I, I have no fake dreams about Portland pulling off some miraculous upset here. But the big, you know, big ticket item for Portland making the playoffs was to get Nurkic playoff experience, right? I mean, there were, what else? what else is Portland really realistically going to gain? Dame's got it. I mean, Dame's got it. CJ's got it. And yeah, you've got the narrative heading in the next season. But otherwise, if you're if you're talking about we're going to be in the playoffs and, you know, we're going to do something, doing something entails getting something from it. And the, the only one who's going to really stand to gain much from this is Nurkic to understand what a real playoff atmosphere is like. Right. Although. Granted, it would be his first experience. I think the first experience is always good, but at least after that, and in some ways before that, the playoff experience that counts is a playoff experience where you win. Yeah, uh, you can lose later on, but you got to figure out what it takes to win a series. Granted, you can get some of that by being in proximity to the Warriors, but you know, it's it's, it's a tough thing, uh, and I don't think 
I, I'm not expecting to get that much from this playoff series, but I would like it to be as entertaining as possible, which means Nurkic playing. But the, the long game isn't any better because of this playoff. The salary issues are still there. And I think one of the basic lessons that we're learning over again, as if we didn't know it already, is that I think you can win games with Noah Vonley. You can win games with Mo Harkless. You can win games with Evan Turner and Myers Leonard and Al Farouk Aminu. You just can't, and Alan Crabb. You just can't win games with all of them. That it's not going to work. That you've got six players there that are kind of indeterminate, that are playing semi-major roles. You you need to get more quality in there. You need to get more definition in there. It just can't be continually spinning the Rubik's Cube and hoping you solve three sides. You've got to get that thing together in a coordinated manner with the players who fit and complement each other. I mean, I like the way Stotts is, is more than willing to play, kind of go with that hot hand theory, but... Alan Crabb, unless he's legitimately injured, can't play just 21 minutes. I understand the limitations of the matchups here, and you want CJ and Dame on the floor at all times, but you can't pay a guy $18 million to play 20 minutes. And then you yeah, got long term. Yeah, I mean that's just that's just not going to work. Evan Turner playing, you know, nearly 36 minutes. Who saw that coming in in November? If this keeps up, though, he's resurrected himself, in my opinion. I think he already has somewhat. But you could see why he was a serious possibility by the way he played in game one. I was just, I was terribly impressed. I thought this was probably his best game uh, as a trailblazer. And I liked it because he did it at the right time. And this is part of the benefits of having veterans who have been around. Because they're not, first of all, he's not cursed with the Portland mindset. And second of all, which is we're happy to make the playoffs and, hey, this is pretty good. And, hey, we're not sure what's going to happen. He's like, no, I'm going to win. This is what you're supposed to do in this league. You play your hardest when it means the most. And and second of all, the defense, I again, I go back to that. I think, okay, I can see this. I can see a little bit what the vision was. Now, if you're going to keep Turner, though, I mean, I don't see Crab being there for salary reasons and other reasons. And I think I don't see Turner and Aminu coexisting or even Harkless. So no matter which one or two you land on, you're going to have to have some major shuffling for the rest of them. Otherwise, it's just not even had they won this game, you weren't entirely sure they were going to win the series. It would have been a better start, obviously. But they didn't win it and they didn't really come close to winning it. And that's just a referendum on you're way far away still from where you need to be. I mean, on entertainment value alone, game one was incredible. The results in the second half, the fourth quarter weren't great for Portland fans. But if you were looking for jaw dropping plays and just, engaging, entertaining basketball, it was there. I mean, Damon CJ going absolutely ham. Durant, silent 30. Uh, Clay Thompson being irrelevant. People were talking about that. And then the fourth quarter, I mean, I, I certainly didn't enjoy it, but you just kind of had to tip your cap to the, the, the performance that Draymond put together. So, I mean, as far as being captivating, yeah, the, the entertainment value is there. But watching Nurkic out there, being able to to kick around and bang around and have some fun because there's one thing that I can unequivocally say about Nurkic in that I don't think there's a current blazer right now that plays the game with more apparent joy. He, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I, that's, to the extent that's what Draymond does. 
and I and I just something about that I, that I love, and I think that brings another uh, quality to 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 the viewer. That's a fair point. And speaking about emotion, though, as we close here, I have a question to ask you because there was some hubbub a little bit before Game One on Twitter, at least, because it was revealed not a huge revelation, that the Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum were the highest-scoring backcourt duo in the NBA over Thompson and Curry. And there was a tweet or two that claimed that that equated to them being the best backcourt duo in the NBA. Now, I know in a narrow sense that they outscored Thompson and Curry. Uh, however, I wanted to ask you, Emotions aside, blazer, whatever aside, do you think at this point, and you can use game one as evidence, that Lillard and uh, McCollum are a better backcourt duo than Golden State? As far as what they mean to their team, Lillard and McCollum are the better duo. And it, it, it's, I, I know how crazy that can sound, but if this version of Clay Thompson, the one that has to play not just not second fiddle, but third and sometimes fourth fiddle, he's just not that guy. And when you, I think when you bump him down that that rung, he's not nearly as effective. And clearly it's gotten into his head. I, I, I tell you what, the, the CJ McCollum, and yeah, it was probably one of the best performances of his career. But if he's if he's dropping 30 plus points a night or, or close to 30 points a night and playing that level of defense, that player is leaps and bounds better than, than Clay Thompson and Steph Dame. Steph's got the edge, but I mean, there are nights where it's going to be push. So, I mean, if we're looking at the evolution of CJ McCollum and becoming a legit two way player, yeah, they, they could be the best duel. And then that's crazy for me because I've never, never believed that these two could coexist together for, and the Blazers be that great. Yeah, I'll still play the obvious devil's advocate. One would be Thompson and Curry still scored 47, almost 48 points combined. Terrible, I think and terrible night. were around 51. I'm talking about like averages over the season, though. Yeah. So, I mean, Lillard and McCollum still have, th they have three points on Thompson and Curry. At the same time, Thompson and Curry are playing in arguably, if not the best, one of the tippy-top defenses in the NBA, which is why Golden State is as good as they are. I need to see the Blazer defense be better with both of these guys on the court. I'm not saying they have to spearhead it. I don't care if the Blazers make up for it at all three other positions and these two guys just kind of prove they can hold the fort a little bit, enough for everybody else to shine defensively. I'm good with that. I'm not asking him to be defensive superstars, but I am asking to see some evidence that the defense is going to hold up with both of them on the court. Then I will say, well, the offensive edge and the ability of McCollum to handle the ball and to dribble where Clay Thompson cannot, that obviously makes Lillard and McCollum better, but I am just not there yet. It's, it's, it's kind of strange though, that we can get to that point, right? Because I mean, a year ago, even as much as we love these guys, it's laughable. Yeah, people were making noise, but it was considered a little bit of quackery, I suppose, yeah. out there. Uh, but yeah, it's not. A, let's put it this way. Let's give him this credit. 
it's not as far out there anymore, and it's even less far out there after game one. I mean, those those impressive stuff going on. Now, we may be having a different discussion next week. Yeah. Uh, we will be four games in at that point. Uh, if it's a sweep, if those contested shots stop falling for McCollum and Lillard, which is a likely possibility, by the way. I mean, you you... You just as well could have seen a 9 of 26 outing instead of 12 of 26, frankly. It would not have been surprising. But if that happens, probably we're revisiting this conversation. But right now, this is pretty much peak Lillard-McCollum time. I mean, is that more of an indictment on Clay Thompson regressing, or is it more of a compliment to McCollum's growth? Both, and I'm good with both, frankly, because I think Golden <laughs> State has had it a little too good. Uh, <laughs> they can deal with some aggression. Really, yeah, I would be okay if Clay Thompson could not guard C.J. McCollum. I would be fine with that. I think he needs a weakness. I think he needs to come down a peg or two. Uh, and you know what? I think it's possible that Clay Thompson... Now, Golden State people are going to kill me. Understand how I mean this and how I don't. Matt Barnes, for instance, when he left the Warriors, not the same, right? Uh, Andrew Bogut, when he left the Warriors, not the same. Clay Thompson is way above their level, but I think Clay Thompson could be considered in some ways an ideal fit for the Warriors system, and you take him off and put him on another team, and he's just not quite going to be that Clay Say Thompson. what you're really saying good. here, Dave. Say what you're really saying. He's a system player. Well, I mean, he is kind of, but he's like the best. He's like the best of the best system players, and I think there are other systems he can fit in, right? I don't think he's totally Warriors dependent, but I think if you put C.J. McCollum on any other team, there's a high chance that he will still be C.J. McCollum. He's still twenty-five, so, five and five. I, I'm I'm good with saying that. Um, I I think the gap between Lillard and Curry is still greater than it looks like on the surface, especially after Game One. But still, I mean, again, credit, full credit to Lillard and McCollum. They're good, 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 and they were great uh, in game one. I just don't think they're quite there yet. What do you guys think? We will leave you with that podcast, people. Come to Blazers Edge and comment. Do you think that the Blazers backcourt really is the best in the NBA at this point after what you saw in game one? Or is there more that you need to see? Leave us a comment and we will see you next week where we will discuss, hopefully, an ongoing playoff <laughs> series with the Golden State Warriors. Hopefully, Yusuf Nurkic playing his heart out and uh, dominating, and hopefully maybe even the chance that we might see a win or two forthcoming. Uh, until next week, for Dan Morang, I'm Dave Deckard. Thank you so much for joining us.